to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Our text this morning is in chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Hear now the word of the living God. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Thus ends the reading of the word of the living God. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, we ask now that you would come by your Holy Spirit and Lord Jesus, that you would walk in our midst as we read there in the book of Revelation. Uh, you are the one who walks in the midst of your candlesticks to come and uh, reveal your glory anew to us, uh, to encourage us, to strengthen us uh, as we love you and, and seek uh, to live for you. <coughs> Lord, we thank you that you also uh, come to clean your bride. Lord, to grow us, uh, to strengthen what is weak and broken, to mend uh, the net uh, like you did the fishing nets uh, that were uh, useless uh, with the big holes in them. Lord, that's what our lives would be uh, left to ourselves. And how we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are mighty to save. And so, Lord, come and, and, and press uh, your sweet gospel, the good news, uh, upon our uh, uh, broken hearts, upon our hearts that uh, would have no hope left to ourselves. And Lord, uh, we who have tasted of your kindness, uh, who belong to you by simple childlike faith, revive our hearts, Lord, this day uh, to have renewed hope and joy uh, and, and trust and faith in you, our, our risen Savior. And Lord, if there be any uh, listening this day who are apart from you, uh, awaken them uh, from their slumber of death uh, and draw them unto yourself. Oh Lord, open your word to us now. We acknowledge that left to ourselves, we cannot understand your word rightly. Uh, Lord, we need you to come and preach your gospel to my heart and the hearts of your lambs this day. Do so, oh Father, grant us these mercies. Uh, in your Son, by the power of your Spirit, we beg. Amen. Well, uh, the last time that I had the joy of looking at this passage with you, we began looking at verse 23 
Uh, this benediction that we see at the end of this book is very similar to the benediction that the Apostle Paul uh, could not help but break out into in the middle of the book. And if you'll turn back with me to chapter 3, uh, we see in verses 11 through 13 of chapter 3 a very similar blessing. Benediction is just another word for blessing. And the Lord Jesus is our blessing. He is the one who gives us the smile of God Almighty. And we see in verse 11 and 12 and 13 of chapter 3, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so we see this benediction is from God uh, through the saving work of His Son, uh, God the Son, the Lord Jesus, and that He uses God's people. He stirs us up to be uh, tools in His hand to encourage one another, uh, to keep loving Jesus, to keep feeding upon Him, to keep growing in him, and we do so with an eye toward that great day. And we see a reference all through this book uh, to the reality, the truth that Jesus is going to come in glory and in history, and therefore we ought to be living today for him. <coughs> we do not know when that day will be. And so God calls us to get ready, to be ready, to be living in readiness. And that means that we live each day for the king. We seek to honor the king in what we think and say and do. Uh, we view the blessings that we enjoy as gifts from his hand, uh, as resources uh, that he has given to refresh us uh, in our task this side of heaven. Uh, just a little taste uh, of the bliss that awaits us in heaven. Uh, the task that God assigns to us, uh, we view those as errands that the king has sent us on for his glory, and the people that are around us in our own families, in our church family, uh, we view as those that he has sent us now to minister to in his name, to seek to be an encouragement to the people around us, to join with us, to love the king, uh, to live for him, uh, to stay in readiness, uh, for that great day. Well, we've seen uh, in this chapter now, 
chapter 5, uh, uh, more and more practical outworkings of getting ready for the king. Um, and he comes now at the end of this series of practical instructions for godly everyday living to this uh, benediction again that focuses on us living holy lives, lives set apart for the king. That's what holy means, uh, that we view ourselves as a living sacrifice for the king of glory. What we say, what we do, what we think, in every facet of life, we want to live for him. He is worthy. He deserves. And we are those obligated by God's mighty work making us, taking care of us, but we doubly are obligated to live for him because he has loved us. Now may the God of peace himself, and you remember we saw that Jesus is our peace and that he purchased peace with his own lifeblood. Uh, we did not make peace uh, with God, but as we read in Romans uh, chapter 5, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. As we read in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we were dead toward God, dead in our sins and trespasses. And even while we were dead, God came and made us alive, joining us to his Son. Well, we want to finish looking now as we think about this sanctification that uh, is pervasive, pervasive, of every nook and cranny of life. And that's what we looked at uh, last time. We want to look now, particularly at verse 24 uh, this morning for just a few minutes. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The calling of the Lord. What does it mean for God to call us? Well, let's look at a few passages of Scripture. Um, if you'll turn with me, first of all, over in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we have several verses that I think are very helpful. Um, when someone calls someone, they are speaking. Uh, they address another person, and they use their voice uh, to communicate something. Um, the call of God is not just words, although it is that, of Jesus speaking to us. But these words are the words of God Almighty. And you remember, the Bible begins at the beginning. Uh, the God who always has been and always will be spoke the universe into being on that first day of creation and then the rest of the days of creation of that week of creation week Almighty God speaks and He moves 
on all of this formless void matter that he spoke into being and brings order out of chaos and he brings life where there was not life and the crown of his creation is God making Adam of the dust of the earth and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life putting Adam to sleep uh, forming uh, his glorious equal who is his helper and wakes Adam up and Adam and Eve then are married by Almighty God there in the garden. And God declares it all very good. Um, Satan comes, uh, he tempts Eve uh, uh, to rebel and Adam goes along with this rebellion and they eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that day they fell and all of creation was marred and mankind is separated from God. But the Lord Jesus called the parties to himself and he spoke his words of judgment upon the serpent, uh, that he would not win, that he now was breaking the peace treaty that Adam and Eve had entered into, uh, embracing the lie of Satan. And God announces, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And then the Lord speaks the gospel, declaring that the seed of the woman would come in the fullness of time to crush the serpent's head. All through Holy Scripture, God calls his people unto himself through the preaching of the good news, the message of Jesus Christ, that in the fullness of time, the Son of God came and took on human flesh for the purpose of living a sinless life and dying on the cross as the substitute for God's lambs to pay the, the price of our guilt. Death could not hold him. And he came forth from the tomb bodily, physically, on the third day. And after appearing to various of the disciples, for about 40 days, the book of Acts chapter 1 tells us, he bodily, physically ascended up into heaven and has been seated at the Father's right hand, reigning until all of the enemies of God are made a footstool for his feet. As Psalm 110 and Acts 2 and on and on uh, uh, apply that passage, telling us that Jesus, he is Messiah. He is the risen, exalted Christ. And what is he doing now? He is calling his people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 2, to the church that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Uh, this uh, book reminds us uh, that the people of God are a people who Jesus has called unto himself out of the world to belong to him. 
called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. When we hear His call, we call upon Him. Uh, when we hear His words, uh, we are moved to repent uh, of trusting in ourselves and living against God and turn from that sin to Jesus and call upon the name of the Lord. That's what the calling of Jesus does. It's not just mere words, but it is like uh, the voice of Jesus speaking at the mouth of Lazarus' tomb. What happened when Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb? A dead man came alive and came walking out of that tomb. And that's what Jesus has done for every one of us as his little children. He has called us. Look on down in this same chapter in verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The calling of, of Jesus is not just words, uh, like we use words. You know, you can call people and they may or may not pay any attention to you. But when Jesus calls us, oh, he calls us into fellowship uh, with himself. God is mighty and powerful to save. Well, this calling uh, of, of Almighty God. Over in the book of 1 Peter, we have another description uh, of this mighty work in chapter 2. Turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And here we see <clears throat> that God has made us alive by joining us to His Son Jesus. In verse 4, as you come to Him, to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then down in verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who, what? Called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. <coughs> Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he speaks, when the Father speaks his word calling us, something happens amazing. Uh, we come alive uh, like Lazarus did in the tomb. Uh, we come alive spiritually, and he calls us uh, to turn from darkness, to turn to the light, Jesus. And we are transformed, transformed from one realm uh, to another. Uh, we are transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son.
And so the call of Almighty God uh, is powerful and mighty. Now, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8 because this passage reminds us uh, that the Christian is someone who not only initially hears the voice of Jesus calling us to repent and believe in him, but we never outgrow trusting in Jesus. We never get to the point where we quit loving to trust in Jesus. We never quit repenting of sin and turning to Christ. Yes, a Christian is someone who begins our relationship with Almighty God by His grace of Him calling us initially. But this calling continues on. In Romans chapter 8, the Lord makes this wonderful promise to us in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are what? The called according to His purpose. Um, We are those who have been called by Almighty God to trust in His Son. And he goes on in verse 29 and reminds us that this calling that we've experienced, uh, that we've come to the place where all of a sudden, uh, and maybe uh, if you were converted as an adult, uh, you can remember back uh, when you didn't love Jesus. Uh, But what happened to you? Well, all of a sudden, we came to a point where we saw, I'm a sinner, I I need a Savior, and the only one who can save me is Jesus. Uh, If you grew up as a little one like John the Baptist who was converted in his mother's womb, you may not remember that, but there is a point in time when God begins your experience of trusting in Jesus. But here in Romans chapter 8, he takes us back even before you and I existed. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so here we have God taking us back uh, before time began, eternity past where God decided to set his love upon you, upon me, by name. And he made a plan. And he, in the fullness of time now, has brought that plan into being. And those whom he foreknew, foreloved, he predestined. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, these he also justified. And those whom he justified, 
These he also glorified. How many of you have been glorified yet? Well, none of us have actually experienced it, but here is a passage where God promises it. And that promise is so sure that he uses the tense of completed action in this chain of events that he describes here in Romans chapter 8. And so back to our text now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this calling of God is referenced here in verse 24. He's the one who now is speaking this benediction. He who calls you is what? Is faithful. Faithful to do what? He will surely do it. Do what? Well, what's the benediction all about? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. This benediction is that God is going to have a bride when he comes that has a beautiful dress and is all prettied up for his appearing. That's what this benediction is all about. It's about God preparing his bride before that great day. Now, I want you to picture in your mind's eye. We've, we've had several weddings uh, in our, our church family and have several that are looming. Uh, it won't be long. And these brides that um, get married, they don't pay any attention to what they wear. They just pull any old thing out. Uh, the night before the wedding, they go, you know, I, nah, yeah, I, I'm aware of that. Generally not. And the week before the wedding, you know, they, they plan everything out. Now, here's what I'm going to do this day and this day and this day. All the bridesmaids and all of this and, you know, what we're going to have at the reception. and Everything's, I mean, there's a lot going on. Have you ever been to a wedding where the bride comes in and her dress is all torn and in shreds and she's got ketchup splattered on, you know, part of it, a little mustard over here and, uh, you know, a little mud here and there on the gown? Generally not. And here's this picture of the glorious bridegroom, our Lord Jesus Christ, he is going to come and get his bride. And what kind of bride is he going to come and receive unto himself? A bride who is sanctified. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. <coughs> At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Uh, the calling of the Lord is not just to begin our salvation, but as we see in Romans chapter 8, 
it has the effect of taking us to eternity future. And between us being converted, becoming a Christian, and us being in the Lord's presence, there's a lot that goes on. If you'll turn with me to the passage that we read at the beginning of our service today, Ephesians chapter 5. What is Jesus doing now, today, getting ready for his wedding day? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and following, we read, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And most people stop there when they are thinking about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ saving his people that he gave himself up for her. But look at verse 26. To this end, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Here we have God giving us a glimpse, a summary of what our risen, exalted Lord and Savior is at work doing in history, in our own hearts and lives, in our families, in our church family. In, in the church at large, Jesus is at work cleaning up his bride, getting his bride ready for that great day. Now, one of the sad um, heresies in our day and time is a confusing of various aspects of salvation. Uh, one of the uh, uh, confusing things is people who don't distinguish between justification and adoption and sanctification and glorification. Um, you know, it, it, it would be like uh, going to a surgeon, okay, and your gallbladder is bad, and the surgeon says, you know, at this point, we, we can't treat it. It's diseased to the point where um, it, it, you're in danger of it becoming gangrenous. And, and so we have no choice. Uh, if we had caught this earlier, maybe we could, you know, uh, do some treatment and you wouldn't lose your gallbladder. But at this point... Uh, we're going to have to take your gallbladder out. 
Now, you want a surgeon who is able to distinguish between all the body parts. You know, you don't want a surgeon who, when he opens you up, he looks in there and he goes, whoa, there's a lot of parts in here. I wonder which one's the gallbladder. Well, we'll take this out. Eh, they probably don't need that. No, that's the gallbladder. Let's take that out. No, you, you, you desperately want a surgeon who is able to distinguish all the parts. Well, it's crucial for us, uh, if we would grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, to take heed to what God tells us in his word about the various aspects of salvation. And when those aspects of salvation are all put in a blender and mixed up, uh, it is not a good result. And so, particularly this matter of of justification. Uh, In the book of of Romans chapter 3, for example, God tells us that we are justified by what? Faith in Jesus apart from the works of the law. And there are people in the evangelical church in our day and time who that's all they talk about is justification. And justification is a crucial thing for us to talk about because that's how we are made right with Almighty God. Uh, That is how we begin our relationship with the living God. We repent and believe in Jesus. And on the basis of Jesus' righteousness that is credited to our account, we are declared right with God. That's what justification is. It is a judicial act of Almighty God declaring us right with Him. Another judicial act is God adopting us. Uh, The Lord adopts those whom He justifies. And what a glorious privilege it is to have the name, the legal name of God Almighty. If you are trusting in Jesus, God has made us a part of his family. You are now royalty. You are sons and daughters of the king. And we ought to live in such a way to show honor to the family name. We bear the king's name. And we have the privilege now, as we read in Romans 8 and Galatians 4, of crying out, Abba, Father. Uh, Calling God our daddy, our, our papa. It's not a term of disrespect. You know, when a little kid runs up uh, to their dad and grabs hold of their uh, leg and says, Daddy, you don't think, oh, how disgusting. No, I mean, that's, that's, that's a glorious thing. Uh, a little child has the privilege of calling that parent their, their dad, their mom, because of that relationship. Well, that's the privilege that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We not only have legal standing with God, where Jesus' perfect sacrifice is credited to us by faith alone. 
that's the tool that uh, uh, lays hold of Christ. Simple childlike faith. We're also adopted, but we're also sanctified. And where as justification is God imparting the uh, imputing the righteousness of Jesus Christ, crediting the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Sanctification is God infusing the righteousness. He actually is uh, changing us. <coughs> you can picture justification of God clothing us, uh, uh, covering our sin with the blood of Jesus. God clothing us with the perfect obedience of his son. That's justification. Uh, but underneath those clothes is what? Well, we still struggle with sin. And so sanctification, you can picture the God, the Holy Spirit, taking this big brush. You see this brush? Here's, the, here's God's brush. And he reaches underneath those robes and he's washing us up. He's cleansing us. He's changing us. Uh, God calls upon us to be a people uh, who understand that not only are we justified by faith in Jesus alone, but we are called to be what? Holy ones. Saints. And back to our, our text, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Faithful to do what? Faithful to sanctify us. That's the context. He is changing us, growing us more and more to reflect the image of his son. Or as Ephesians 5 describes it, he gave himself up for her, his bride, the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so as an individual, when you become a Christian... Justification happens the second you believe in Jesus. Sanctification, it's a process. And so what does this process look like? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4, and God describes for us what it looks like. For God to be taking us by the hand as his little children and loving us and saying, look, you're mine now. I'm going to grow you up in my home, in my family to reflect more and more of my family name. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. And I want you to notice that God, he begins first of all by speaking the truth of his word, the holy scriptures, and he instructs our minds. 
He instructs us. He's calling us. Not only does this calling begin when we experience justification, but He continues to call us to love Him and to follow Him and to serve Him and to throw away remaining sin more and more. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you what? Heard Him. Huh? Here He is speaking to us. Not only when we first became a Christian, but he continues to come by his blessed Holy Spirit, taking his word, the very word of his mouth, the Holy Scriptures, and he's speaking his word to us that we might grow up in him. Assuming that you have heard him and were taught of him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, sadly, in our day and time, we have a lot of instant food, okay, so-called. Just add water and stir. And... We might fall into the notion that that's how we're sanctified. Uh, justification is an act that God does to us, declaring us right because of the imputed righteousness. God credits us with the perfect sacrifice of Jesus and his perfect obedience. But sanctification is a process where God is actually changing us from the inside out, uh, making us more and more to hate remaining sin and to be alive more and more in the resurrection power of Jesus. And it's something that doesn't happen overnight. You know, when you become a Christian, you don't wake up the next day and you just love Jesus with all your heart and all of your old sinful patterns are just gone and you never struggle with sin ever again. That's not the experience of the Christian. And so he gives us some practical examples of putting off and putting on. Look at verse 25 of Ephesians 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We put off lying and we put on speaking the truth. Now, any of you young people or children or us uh, as adults, you ever struggle with lying? Well, God hates lying. God is a God of truth. And whenever I speak a lie, I am acting like what my old father used to be like Satan Satan is a liar and a murderer um, I want to act like my heavenly father 
He's a God of truth. And so God says, I, I, I need to grow up in Jesus. I need to experience being crucified with Christ, the remnants of that old man that remains. And, and put to death lying and experience the power of Jesus to change me so that more and more I believe the truth, I love the truth, I speak the truth, I'm living the truth. Putting off, putting on. Look at the next one. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Uh, instead of having unrighteous anger, uh, God wants us to be angry about what is right in God's sight. What God's angry about. That's what ought to make me stirred up. Uh, and I ought to be angry his kind of way. Uh, when God's angry, he doesn't lose self-control. Praise God. I, I mean, can you imagine if God were to lose self-control when he was angry? God wants us to put off unrighteous anger and to be stirred up when we see things that are not right in God's sight and to take his action against it beginning with taking the log out of my own eye, and then I can see to help my brother with the speck in his eye. It's a call for us to be humble. It's a call for us to go to war with those who are doing wrong. And our own personal enemies, what does Jesus say to do in Romans chapter 12? If your enemy is hungry, what? Feed him. He's thirsty, give him a drink. And so, you know, when your husband or your wife or your parent or your child uh, says something that you go, whew, that, that was bad. Instead of dishing it back, you say, I'm going to do what is right in God's sight. That's what it looks like to grow in holiness. Look at the next one. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The remnant of the old man is what? Lazy. You know, what can I get by with? Nobody's around. My parents aren't around. I think I'm just going to Daydream a little while. I'm, I'm going to quit working on this math lesson. Not fun. Not fun. I'm just going to take a break. I know I'm supposed to be doing this English lesson or this history lesson. It's, it's break time. No, let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor with his own hands. We love to work. Because we're working for the king. Now, there's a time for play. And when we play, we want to play for the king. Uh, but God calls us to be those who are putting off the remnants of the old man and putting on the new man. Look at the next example. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk 
come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We put off the remnants of the old man of using our mouths to cut and, and speak mean, painful words in our homes, with friends, with neighbors, in the workplace. Uh, but we say, Lord, my mouth belongs to you. I, I want to use my mouth to speak the truth and to speak it in such a way uh, that it builds the people up around me. That's what it looks like for the bride to be getting herself ready for the day. Because Jesus is going to come someday. Are you ready? What kind of, what kind of dress do you think the bride has in our day and time? Ooh-wee. She's a mess. She needs to get herself prettied up, doesn't she? And may the Lord stir us up this day. In the book of Revelation chapter 19, I want you to turn with me in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. <coughs> what kind of dress does the bride have on? Oh, we need to grow. May the Lord stir us up. And may this benediction be sweet to us. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's going to give you the strength when somebody more exciting than your husband or your wife comes along for you to say, Nope, I am married and my eyes belong to Jesus and my spouse. I'll tell you what will keep you the beauty of your bridegroom. Lord Jesus, I belong to you. My eyes belong to you. What's going to keep you from looking at things on the internet that are hideous and wicked in God's sight? What will keep you from pornography? What will deliver you from impure thoughts? The bridegroom. The beauty of the bridegroom. He is worthy. What will keep you from disobeying your mama, your daddy, when they've asked you to do something and it's just not fun? What's going to give you the strength to do what's right in God's sight? The beauty of the bridegroom. That you and I belong to him. He bought us with his own blood. And he calls upon us to live for him today. 
And someday we're going to stand before him. Two things as we close. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. One verse. God tells us to pursue peace with everyone around us and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all men and the holiness, this sanctification without which how many people will see God? No one. Now, that doesn't mean we're saved by our works. We are saved by Jesus. But if we've been justified, we will seek to please Him. We will seek to honor Him. And He takes our feeble attempts. You remember me sharing with you about my folder that is titled, Daddy and Papa's Favorites. And I have some marvelous artwork from little children through the years in that folder. I mean, there are portraits of me, you know, heads about this big, uh, two or three hairs sticking up. I never have figured that out. Why do they always picture me with just two or three hairs? But anyway... Hands, great old big hands, you know. Now, why? Why would I keep such a portrait? Well, it, it was an expression of love. It will never bring anything uh, at Sotheby's auction uh, house uh, there in London. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to sell it for anything. But, oh, it's priceless to me. And that's how... Our lives are. As we present our lives before the King, He covers our attempts at pleasing Him with His precious blood. And He accepts us. And He rewards us in His grace. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body keep be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So what are you going to do with all of this? Run to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I give myself anew to you. You bought me with your blood. And you are worthy, O Lamb of God. Secondly, Lord, I love your word. And I beg that you would stir me up to want to read and feed and grow in you, Lord Jesus. God wants you to be a blessing to the people around you. How does the bride's dress fare? And what are you going to do about it? Oh, how we have a glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus. He's blessing us. He's sanctifying us. He's getting us ready for that great day. Amen. Father, we ask that you would write upon our hearts, uh, Lord, this portion of Scripture. Father, we need this as individuals. 
Uh, Lord, we need you to take us by the hand and uh, to lead us in your paths, Lord Jesus. We beg, Lord, that you would bless us to be those who (coughs) are looking to you and in you, Lord Jesus, seeking to bear fruit for your praise. Oh, Lord, we beg that you would clean the bride's dress. Oh, Lord, that you would begin in our own hearts, our own homes, our own church family. Oh, Lord, we love you. You are worthy. We thank you for this portion of Scripture. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you have called us and are continuing to call us that you're faithful, that you will do it. Uh, You will have a bride that loves you and delights in you. And you are worthy, O Lamb of God. In Jesus we pray, amen.